Open our eyes, Lord, that we might see. Open our ears that we might hear. Open our mind and our heart that we might understand, so that we will turn to you and live. This parable is known to many of us. The parable of the good soils. It shows up in Mark's gospel. It shows up in Luke's gospel. And in the lectionary readings, we're given Mark's gospel account of this parable. Uh, Next week's readings, the gospel readings, would have taken on a similar theme. Jesus is going to, again, use uh, the theme of seeds and of fields and of weeds. It's uh, one of the things that comes up quite a bit in some of Jesus' teachings. He's giving us images and pictures, not just of ways of reimagining and imagining what life with God, what life in God's world can be like, will be like, but also to begin to get us thinking about what happens when we are left on our own. And so this is one of those weeks where, and I do this quite a bit, <laughs> I have way more cuttings that I have to remove from my sermons uh, than I do actual content that goes into them. Uh, and this is one of those weeks where there is a lot that we could sit with. Jesus is in many ways gonna give a master class on gardening. He's gonna give a master class on uh, what is life with God and what is life in God's kingdom. Oftentimes when I've heard this parable talked about, there is a lot of time spent on the first three soils. So if you can imagine, you sign up for a master gardening class, you have real big hopes, whether it's uh, your box garden or just the plants in your kitchen, or you have dreams of homesteading. So you sign up for this master gardener class, you go in, it's four weeks. And the first three and a half weeks you spend on nothing but everything that could possibly go wrong. And so you walk out well-equipped on everything that could possibly go wrong, and then you spend half a week on how to actually cultivate what would be a healthy and good and fruitful garden. Walking away from that, most of us would be like, I don't, I don't know. I understand that it's really important to pay attention to what could go wrong. It feels really important that if we actually want to eat from the garden, that we also need to know what is supposed to go right. How is this all supposed to work? And again, most of the sermons I've ever heard, most of the teachings I've ever heard is sort of like that, spending three and a half weeks on every type of bad soil. And oh, by the way, there is such thing as good soil but we'll come to that some other time. So here's what I would actually like to do. I'd like to divide this into two parts, and next week, we're gonna talk more in depth about what it actually means to cultivate good soil. I don't think we spend enough time on that, but it is also important for us to know that which keeps us from good soil. Does that sound good? All right, great. I just decided it, so hopefully it works. Uh, At a very high level, so I wanna give a, a few points of introduction to this parable that we're going to sit with over this week and next. And so even in between now and then, I'd invite you to sit with this parable, to imagine yourself on the beach, listening to Jesus tell these stories, to picture in your mind a sower, whoever she or he is, sowing seed and begin to just watch. Jesus describes the images, and so just to enter into this story. At a very high level, 
Uh, many of us have no doubt heard that what Jesus is describing are specific kind of listeners, four kind of listeners who, and again, I've, I've heard this, this is how you're supposed to listen to a sermon. Okay, you've obviously never sat through a sermon with a small child that sometimes feels like thorns. What kind of listeners we are, and yes, there is something to that, but there is so much more. Because what Jesus is describing is not those who hear Holy Scripture, but those who hear what? The very word of the kingdom. Jesus in this parable, and it's one of the few that he'll go on to then explain to his followers. That was the second portion of our reading. What Jesus is describing is he's describing different people and the varying responses that we have to the good news of the kingdom. And what is the good news of the kingdom? That God is triune, that he is a boundless mystery. That God is Christ-like, and in God there is no unchristlikeness. That any image of God, any understanding of God we've ever had or will ever have has to go through the filter of Jesus. And so whatever it is that we believe about God, if you can't find that in Jesus, then there's an invitation to begin to reimagine how we've understood God. It's the good news of the radical availability of God's kingdom here and now, that there is the availability of a different kind of life, that beloved life doesn't have to be this way. Wherever you find yourself, whatever you are experiencing, whether by your own decisions, the decisions of others, or just what feels like the circumstances of life, it doesn't have to be this way. The good news is that you and I are beloved image bearers. It's the good news of Matthew 11. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. Come to me, get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real, a real rest. Walk with me. Work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. Keep company with me. You'll learn to live freely and lightly. That is the good news of the kingdom. It's the good news that God longs for us not only to hear, but to experience to share with those who God loves. So at a very high level, Jesus is talking about the varying responses to the good news of the kingdom. But I want to invite us to think about it this week and next a little bit different. Because I think there's also a micro level to this. Because again, it's easy to sort of flatten people. You're either good soil or you're not. But the reality is, I know my own life and if I had to guess, you're similar to me. There are different parts of me. There are different places inside of me that represent all four soils. And what I long for for my own life and what I long for for you is to begin to bring into integrity all those places that you would experience more good soil in your life and to normalize that we walk around with thorny places, that we walk around with hard places in the depths of us. Not as a way of being like, well, I am who I am, and who you are is a jerk. Right, that's, how many of us are there? Like, you don't have to raise your hand. There are a few places in my life that I'm there. I'm like, I don't know if this is gonna ever change, so I think maybe I just, 
identify as a hothead? I don't know. Jesus, in those different places, longs, longs for us to experience God's life. And so, let's walk through this parable. There are five movements, and we're going to spend a little bit of time this week and next week on the fifth, which is the good soil. But the first movement doesn't actually begin with us. It begins with the generous sower. Jesus opens up saying, listen, a sower went out to sow And he sowed. In this story, God is the sower. And God is not choosy in where God sows God's life. Not choosy. Incredibly generous. Lavish in where God chooses to sow God's life. The question for you and I is, do we have an imagination for that type of God? Do we have an imagination for stories like Jonathan shared this morning? Do we have imagination that God is not scarce in grace, in mercy, in life? We we experience scarcity, but that's because there are competing kingdoms. Jesus, nowhere that I have yet to find, promises a life of ease a life of triumph. But what Jesus does promise is to not just be with us like an arm around the shoulder, but Jesus says, it's actually better that I go, I'm gonna send the Holy Spirit. And in part, what Holy Spirit is going to do is to make you sturdy people. Sturdy people don't become sturdy because of a lack of suffering and pain but because they find themselves carried in the midst of it. God is sowing liberally because it is in God's very nature to throw life at your doorstep. The question is, will we have eyes to see? Will we have eyes to see? God is a generous sower. That's our first movement. The second movement is the soil along that is the path, the hard places. Jesus says, as the sower sowed, some seeds fell on the path, and the birds came and ate them. If you think of any path, at least a well-worn path, a path is hard. The harder the path, in many ways, the better it is. And the idea of the path that Jesus is using is one that's very busy. There is a lot going on in this path, a lot of traveling, And that's one of the reasons why it's become hard, because it's so busy. Where are those places in our lives that have become hard? That have become worn down? Become so traveled, so busy? Maybe another way to put it, to maybe get at it a little more head on, is where are the places in you that in a moment of honesty, you are grieved (coughs) 
Where are the places in you that have become what they've become that five years ago you would have been never? That would never have been me. That would never have been me. An addiction that you've seen friends walk through that maybe you walked through and thought you were done with and you find yourself in its throes again. Those places in you that have just become numb to at one point what you would have just walked away from because you knew there was nothing life-giving about it. For many of us, it's an invisible place, but it doesn't stay invisible long. Eventually, it comes out. The path is hard and the path is busy. And for some of us, it is just that. It is that we've constructed a life with no room. Not, not even just room for God, but there's just no room. There's no space. There's no margin. It hardens us. We're made to, we're made to live like that. Where are those places? I know where they are. I know what that place is in me. What is it for you? The third movement of the rocky places. Jesus says, other seeds fell on rocky ground where they didn't have much soil, but they, there was a little bit of life. They sprang up quickly since they had no depth of soil. They sprung up quickly because their roots didn't go very deep. But when the sun rose, they were scorched since they had no root and they withered away. If the path is the places in us that are hard and busy, the rocky places are the places that are shallow and hard. They're mixed. There's some softness, but there are hard places that are not allowing for growth. God's life is unable to take root, deep root. And one of the ways that these kind of places are exposed in us is through trials, through storms, through suffering. It's in those moments it's revealed what we have built a life on. What we have chosen is our foundation, whether it's sand or the rock that is Christ in life with God. The storm comes in both ways. And in the midst of the storm, I've said this before, it isn't the moment to go, hey, I think we need to do some rebuilding. Let's change some things. You wait till the storm is over. But it's those places in us where we can put seeds in the ground, but if we're not able to and not willing to tend to the rocks, there is no actual depth and deep rootedness in us. It's the places that are mixed. The fourth movement are the thorny places. Jesus says in verse seven, other seeds fell among thorns and the thorns grew up and choked them. This is soft soil. We're getting there. It's soft soil, but it's crowded soil. It's crowded soil. There's good things growing next to not so good things. There's a lot of con uh, competition for the nutrients, for what's available. Soil itself, if you've ever done any form of gardening, you know that soil is not limitless. One plant, for example, is you can't plant tomatoes in the same soil year after year after year after year. One of the things you'll begin to notice is the tomatoes begin to change. They become 
less luscious as they were that first year. Because tomatoes, amongst many other vegetables, are one of those plants that require the most nutrients from the soil. And so if you're not tending to the soil, if you're not replacing the nutrients, then over time you still get fruit, but it's not the same. The thorns in Jesus' story are growing. They're growing quite well. Some of them are maybe even flowering. But the reality is that they are choking away the life, the actual life, what we long to grow in those garden places. And there may not be a lot of hardness like there was in the hard places or the rocky places, but there is a lot of prickle. Not a lot of hard, but man, there's a lot of prickle. And friends, one of the things we find out sometimes the hard way is that without space in our life, we cannot know what these choking forces are. It's one of the things that in this story of Jesus is, which I think is just in so many ways masterful, I could spend weeks upon weeks, is at the, cent- at the center of all of this, I think, is an invitation to pay attention. To pay attention. None of us would garden by just walking out into our yard and just throwing tomato seeds. Walking away and being like, I wonder why I'm not getting any tomatoes. You imagine that, you're sitting around having coffee with a friend and they're just like, my garden's just not. And you're like, well, let me come over and let me take a look at your garden. I'll see if I can help. So you pull up to their house, they're standing in their front lawn and you're like, hey, I'm so excited to garden with you today. I brought all my tools and my knee pad and my special gloves. And And you go, where are your garden? And they go, it's right here. You go, what? They go, yeah, it's it's right here. You're like, no, I get it. That's that's crabgrass. They go, no, no, no. Tomatoes, cucumbers, onions, potatoes are somewhere over there. You go, okay. Got it. Uh, Whole Foods has a great produce section. Aldi, if you're looking for like a little bit more of a deal, you'll see the spillers there. Great produce. It's really good. Because you are not eating anything. There's an invitation to tend, to pay attention, to learn from the master gardener. And Jesus will go on to describe what is choking in the thorny places, cares, riches, pleasures, things that are good things but can prevent the things of God, the life of God, the fruit-bearing potential of God's life in our life from coming to maturity in us. And then Jesus goes on to go, and then there's the good soil, the fruitful places. There's good, clear, receptive soil, soil that has to be tended, cared for, prepared. So the question is, when it comes to good soil, how do we define what good soil is? Do we each get to define that for ourselves? I would argue no. Jesus shows us what good soil is and leaves enough ambiguity that it honors who we are, individually, corporately. But at its foundation, it is soil that has been tended and cleared and prepared. And if we want to know what good soil is, we look at the one who embodied it, which is Christ. Christ is the good soil. Christ is the good soil. And Christ invites us to become more and more good soil. And this is why 
I split it in two. Because next week, I want to spend some time thinking about, okay, great, but how? How do we tend to soil? Soil is our soul. It's our heart. It's our bodies. It's our minds. It's our relationships. It's our spirit. God longs for it to be fertile, well-tended, to produce fruit in life. So how? We'll talk about that next week. But here's what I want to invite us to do to close this out. I want to invite us into some silence and some reflection. And Psalm 42.7 reads, deep calls to deep. And perhaps somewhere in the subterranean chambers of your life, you've heard a call to deeper, fuller living and the question for this moment is, what will we do with that? And so I'll invite you just to settle in with your eyes closed, if you're comfortable with that. As you think through this story of Jesus that we've just barely begun to scrape the surface on, I'll invite you to recall an idea or an image. Maybe it encouraged you, maybe it challenged you. I remind you that when things stand out, it's God offering guidance, help. It's God offering life. As you recall that idea, that image, I want you to invite you to practice some curiosity. What does it say about where you are in this moment? What does God want to say to you? What does it even say about God? And for just a moment, I'll invite you to speak to God, to listen to that still small voice, and just to respond as simply and as honestly as you can. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.